who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I would tell my, I think, 22-year-old self when I started my first job out of college to put money in my 401k and forget about it. Because that was, you know, I was financially struggling and I was used to struggling. Um, so the, the concept of a 401k just seemed like something for other people, something for people that have got their shit together and, you know, like know how to make ends meet. And I did not know, but looking back, I'm like, I could have still made ends meet with 4% less. And, um, you know, 20 some years later, that would be a nice little uh, like chunk of, of money to have established. So I came to financial stability later in life. And that's, <laughs> I saw I tell my son these things now. I'm like, yeah, do the 401k, leave it alone. Don't touch it. Pretend it doesn't exist. I don't know if he'll listen to me though. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Writers Jam After Party. The jam, as you may or may not know, is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today. And on the program is one of my favorite people, Bobby Kahn, who's been on the jam before, the proper show. Uh, we had a um, all kind of writer happy hour stuff with her of away from you guys um, as she was working on the book that is out now, A Woman in Time, which comes out this August. She's also an Appalachian, and uh, our families are from down in the same area, so we always have a good time when we get together. She was born in Moorhead, Kentucky, um, and raised in a nearby holler where she developed a deep connection with the land and her Appalachian roots. Uh, her debut memoir, In the Shadow of the Valley, which we talk about a lot on this show. And if you haven't read it, you should read it. 
Um, it came out in 2020. She got her bachelor's degree at Berea College. And again, if you don't know about Berea, you should. Uh, there was a um, just a minor literary figure named Bell Hooks who worked there. Um, the first school in the American South to integrate racially and to teach men and women in the same classrooms. They also have a really interesting structure um, for how people pay for it. Um, in addition to writing, she loves playing pool, cooking, being in the woods, uh, trying to grow a garden, and spending time with her kids. And we talk about uh, about half of that on the program today. She's just spectacular, and I'm excited for you to hear this. Um, it's a fun storytelling Q&A. Before we get to that, as you know, or if you don't know, we have three shows. The Jam comes out every Wednesday, and then on Mondays, we have either Jam Sessions, which is our nonfiction show, or The After Party, which is the show you're listening to now. Sort of a weird-ass storytelling Q&A. And Jam Sessions is a nonfiction show, so it's, we'll take a deep dive into things that people are writing about that we think are important in the world. Best way not to miss anything, don't even worry about the dates or what's coming out. Get subscribed to the Downtown Writers Jam wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also help us out by leaving us a review, either over at Apple Podcasts or at the Facebook page, the Writers Jam Facebook page. Tell your friends about us. You can hop on over to the website. We've got book reviews. You can buy books there. Sign up for the monthly newsletter. And you can support the entire Solid Listen Podcast Network either by Signing up for the $4.99 subscription with Apple, where you get all 12 programs on the Solid and Podcast Network commercial free and before anyone else, or you can support us on Patreon for a dollar or five dollars a month. I think there's two levels. Same deal. No, commercial free stuff. Uh, you get the episodes before they come out. Nicole and Malls have built the nicest place on the internet here. So if you're just looking for some fun, entertaining podcast stuff about art and pop culture and all of that stuff. Cannot recommend that enough. But what I want to do right now is get you to my friend Bobby because she is a lot of fun. Her new book, A Woman in Time, is out. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So thank you for taking some time, stopping by the bunker. Sit on back, grab yourself a cold drink, and enjoy my conversation with Bobby. Why do you write? I write because, um, well, as a child, you know, it was a way for me to have a voice when I otherwise didn't have one. You know, I grew up in a home where it wasn't okay for me to express myself or say what I thought and um, or ask for what I needed. So I found that stories were a way that I could um, feel my feelings and explore my feelings and thoughts. And, you know, that's really stuck with me throughout my life is, you know, I get to say what I, what I want to say, but also it helps me discover what it is I want to say and discover, you know, more complexities in my ideas or my, my emotions, um, yeah, so it really just gives me both an outlet, but also an avenue to, to greater self-understanding. 
Do you remember the first time that you realized that's what you were doing? Let's see. I remember the first story I ever wrote. And I think, you know, I mean, I was like 12 when I wrote this story. I think what I understood then was that I could, um, I could have characters do things and say things as sort of a proxy for myself, you know, being able to say or do things, but they were on this like epic voyage. It was modeled after the Odyssey. So it wasn't as relevant to my, my life at that point. Um, but I think that when I went to college and, um, you know, started taking philosophy classes and that sort of thing, that that's, that's when it showed me that writing could help me like learn and have new realizations and new understandings because I'd be, you know, trying to write an essay describing what some of the writers trying to accomplish or, you know, the pros and cons of a certain um, argument or position that someone had taken. And then as I was writing, like, you know, worlds would open up inside my mind, like, oh my gosh, and then there's this and there's this. Um, yeah, so college was where it really became more clear to me just how powerful it was beyond self-expression. It's interesting having, knowing you and mm -hmm. having had you on the show and having read your first book, the fact that at 12, the first story you remember is the Odyssey and you saying, I don't really see how that's relevant to my life. That feels extremely relevant to the <laughs> life that you lived in, right? Well, I mean, it is a story about trying to get home and not being able to get home. Yeah, I guess I think maybe in terms of like uh, adventures and seeing the world, you know, because I was in our holler and I mean, my adventures were just in a very small landscape uh, compared to the Odyssey, for instance. Sure. But, but certainly the um, metaphorical values you're right. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's my first story. And maybe in some ways, it's the only story that I'm telling and retelling, you know? <laughs> All right. Here's the next question. This is like my favorite writer question. What's the question or statement that people say to you about writing that drives you crazy? What do you say to them? But what do you really want to say? <laughs> so I'm probably going to sound like a jerk here. That's um, why I, I asked the question. <laughs> and I've been, this is one of those that I've been thinking about for a while and I haven't come up with a different answer. So, you know, when people are like, oh, I just haven't, um, I just don't seem to be able to make time to write or I've been working on this for years, but I haven't touched it in so long and I'll get around to it or maybe I'll come back to it. When people make those kinds of statements where they don't have time to write or they're um, you know, neglecting their writing for a long time. So what I usually say is something, some sort of commiserating like, oh yeah, it can be really tough or yeah, um, I understand, you know, just sort of expressing compassion. 
and I do have compassion, but, um, <laughs> but I also just want to be like, if you want to get it done, get your ass in the seat. Yeah. Like I have to be disciplined and there are times when I'm not disciplined, you know, and I'll find that like, even yesterday I sat down to write and I was like, Oh, I really don't want to do this, you know? And you know, I asked myself, well, what do you want to do? Like, you don't want to write this book? Like, don't do it. But don't sit there and play these, like, internal mind games where it's like, I'm going to procrastinate and tell myself I'm doing X or I'm going to do Y or whatever. And really just, you know, kind of self-sabotaging or, you know, whatever, whatever you may or may not be accomplishing um, in your own life for impacting in your own life when you neglect your writing you know but I'm sure that varies but yeah so that's that's what I that's what drives me crazy and it's to be fair it's not just other people saying that like I have my moments when I worked on my novel there were lots of nights where I was like I'll be okay if I don't meet my word count tonight well I don't have to do it tonight and then I was like well how long how many days do you want to bullshit yourself you know, like, <laughs> I just felt like I'm bullshitting myself and I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't sit and really do it, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's interesting. That was a, I feel like that was targeted more towards writers. Like a lot of times the, the people answer oh. like, oh, this is what people say to me who aren't writers. Like that's a very oh. like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. It's why I love these questions because everybody comes at them in a way and I'm like, that's not at all what I was expecting when I wrote this question. How delightful. Huh. Interesting. Well, good. Yeah. And hopefully I don't sound like a total jerk, but maybe it is kind of a. Every writer listening to this is like, yeah, that's true. All right. So here's the third question. This is another one that I wrote with a thing in mind and I keep getting answers that I was not expecting. So I'm, oh. I'm interested to see this. So every writer has that one review, like the one can review, right? Like what's yours? Some, somebody wrote about, um, there's a story in my memoir about me going up to my father's house and it's abandoned or he, he was in jail um, and there's a dog tied up. And I oh. went through this, you know, moral dilemma of feeding the dog because the food in the house, there was no dog food, right? And so the food in the house, I'm thinking like this is gonna be the food that my brother and sister don't get to eat if I feed it to the dog. How's it gonna impact them when they get out of foster care? You know, mom and dad both locked up. And I was scared of dogs at the time. And I was even more scared of my father. Um, So I had a lot of Like, I mean, it was a a very important emotional experience for me to unpack. And somebody in their review, they were like, well, when I got to that story, I could tell she was just a bad person and she should have rescued the dog. And, um, you know, and I was like, actually put at the end of that chapter, like it would take years for me to feel like I was, I could ever be so empowered as to rescue another helpless creature you know I was the helpless creature at that point in my life and um you know so it really stung and and was a little maddening to read that review because it's like one I put this in here 
exploring that very concept. And two, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna write something where you're sharing your your less fine moments, like you're you I had a point, you know, like I had a purpose and it was to to make a positive difference in the world. So it seemed really weird to me for somebody to like come out guns a blazing <laughs> when I put so much effort into exploring what that meant and why would I you know, feel the way I did at that time in my life. And I think it's pretty clear why I felt so disempowered. And um, anyway, yeah, so that's the one review that sometimes it still pops in my head and I just want to find that reader and be like, that was the whole point. Like I was trying, you know, I was exploring this. Did you not get that? But they just took it as an opportunity to criticize, you know? I mean, I, that was a hard, like, I remember reading that. Uh, that that was also one of the moments that I was like, oh fuck, like I don't, I love dogs. I mean, who doesn't love dog? Country people love dogs, and like that was one of those unwinnable situations where it's like there was literally nothing, there was no right answer, and something was going to suffer. You know what's really ironic? Um, and I think it was 2019 is when I bought my granny's house from my father, mm -hmm. and you know I've written a couple of essays about it, so I don't know if you you know. You probably don't know this detail though. There was, um, they left a dog behind. Like I bought the house, him and his girlfriend moved to another county. They took a little dog, but they left this big dog that was like a chow chow, chow chow mix, or is it just chow? Sorry, I'm getting the food and the dog mixed up. <laughs> chow mixed with something like German Shepherd. And it had growled at me and it was, you know, I was, still scared of dogs at that point. Um, I've gotten better, <clears throat> but it was an intimidating dog. Well, they left it there. And then I go up to start cleaning the house. I'm like, what about this dog? You know, and before you know it, I bring the dog home. I, I get the dog to the vet. You know, I, um, I bought a pin, like a big outdoor thing for it and toys and I'm taking it treats while I, while it was still at the house. And then I was like, oh my gosh, we've got to bring this dog to my house and get it. It was the first time it would have ever been to the vet or anything, you know, yeah. got it all its shots. And now like my kids still ask about the dog. I ended up um, like finding a home for it through a rescue and it became like, the vet was like, oh my gosh, this is the smartest dog we've ever met. It was, it could be a service dog, you know? And so it ended up becoming, um, it got adopted by this family in New Jersey who had just adopted a little boy. And somebody sent me a picture of the dog and the little boy together. <laughs> it just tears me up. They are both grinning so big <laughs> and so happy. And I'm just like, that's so perfect. Yeah. So I kind of, I got to have my redemptive rescue a dog from my father's house yeah. story. That's big. I'm guessing there were tears. I'm guessing clearly there are still tears when you think about that. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it doesn't, I feel like a lot of people in life don't get a chance to kind of face the same situations sure. where they, they may have not done what they wish they had done later on. Yeah. Or had the ability. I mean, let's be honest. Like 
and we don't need to dwell on in the shadow of the valley but like you like you didn't have tools there wasn't a scaffolding like this wasn't oh, yeah. a choice you made it was literally the kobayashi maru like there was no winning in that situation right yeah, yeah. and so you got to be in that situation where there was winning and yeah. like that's the that's the gift right like that's the progress yeah. that you made and it's pretty amazing it's like 25 years later here you are in this situation and it's like oh yeah chapter yeah. 11 yeah i know how this i know what to do here yeah it was, <laughs> it was pretty cool when i figured out what had actually unfolded you yeah. know that's pretty good yeah. and this is why i like asking the review question yeah uh, all right here's the next one this one's easier so what has been your best writing epiphany and how did it come about? So best writing epiphany. Um, I was reading Angela's Ashes, um, you know, by Frank McCourt. And I had written a, the early draft of my memoir for my creative writing thesis. And then I graduated from the master's program I was in. Um, I had my daughter and then I'm reading this memoir and it was so sad and just so like um, wrenchingly painful <laughs> and I did not want to put it down. And I realized, I asked myself, it's like, wait a minute, how are, is this such a misery that he's able to convey in so much pain and I don't want to leave, you know, I just want to stay in this world that he's drawing me into and I was like I gotta do that if I'm not doing that like there's no reason to do anything because he, if he can do that you know some writers can do that that's the thing that I want to aspire to um and you know since I had a difficult story to tell <laughs> I you know I was that was my new challenge of like this is what I want to accomplish and nothing less. Um, the other epiphany that I had was when I read Letters to a Young Poet by Rilke in college. And I that was the first time that I read prose that felt like poetry. So like when I went to grad school, you know, I studied poetry, I wanted to write poetry, but I had so many stories that I wanted to write down too. So you know, Rilke was always in the back of my head and was like, oh, you know, some people can write prose that feels like poetry, it reads like poetry. And um, that was the other thing that I wanted to aspire to because I just feel like there's something really magical in accomplishing that. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All Rilke right. in the court. <laughs> Here's, this is the bookend. This is the end of the first part and it's a bookend to the first question which is to you, what does it mean to be a writer? I, to me, being a writer is trying to accomplish a new thing, like create a new experience for readers by reusing the same words that are already in existence. You know, trying to create like this unique moment in time or on the page by putting words together in a new way in, and in new relationships to one another. Um, I, I think about that quite a bit, like how we're just using the same words over and over and over. We're not inventing new words, you know, um, but somehow just putting them in a different order 
you can create unique sentences and um, stories emerge from that. Um, I think that's really, again, a magical thing to do. Um, I think there's so much beauty in language and yeah, it's, it's like a, a ethereal kind of experience or metaphysical maybe. Sometimes as I'm writing, I think about, um, you know, like in grad school doing literary theory classes and where we would do psychoanalysis um, <laughs> as the, the analytical tool sure. to read certain books by. And so I'll write something and I'm like, oh my God, I hope nobody does like a psychoanalytical analysis of, <laughs> of this because I wonder what it says about me, you know? Yeah. It might be something kind of weird. It's a, it's a pretty, it's incredible to get to be a creator of a world, you know, of a person, a character and all of that. Even when those reviews come in. Even when you get those reviews, Instagram all messages. All right. We're good. That's good. That's the end of the first part uh, about writing. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back to my favorite part, which is the second part, which is all about you. So we'll be back in just one second. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. All right, uh, we're back and we just had a discussion about old houses that none of you will ever hear. Uh, or, and if you did, you wouldn't understand what we were talking about. So part one is all about writing. And part two is all about you. So here's the first question. What makes you the happiest? That would be uh, the closeness that I share with my kids. Like, <laughs> and, and knowing that they feel loved by me. Um, my daughter, you know, somebody said something to her the other day, like, well, you know, when this is what you could do when your mom's too busy to, to help you with like important things that come up. And my daughter said, my mom would never be too busy to help me. And they were like, well, yeah, I'm sure though sometimes she's stressed out and she couldn't uh, give you full attention or something. And so in those situations, and my daughter was like, no, I am my mom's one of my mom's top priorities, if not the, the highest priority, and she will always make time for me. And my daughter shared this with me and I was just blown away. Like she knows that, you know, she knows that I'll go out of my way to be present for her and to support her. Cause otherwise, you know, we have our, we have our, our moments of <laughs> imperfect <laughs> communication and frustrations and all that. But to know that she feels like I am there for her no matter what, that is, that feels like just about everything I could, the, like the legacy that I want to leave. You know, the other stuff would be, be great to leave more, but knowing I'm leaving two kids who feel loved and supported is a lot. And I get to have conversations with my son like that too. Where he's like, I know you've got my back. And I've always felt that way. I've always felt loved, you know, and um, I, and I didn't, you know, so yeah. it's like, I had to invent that. I had, I didn't have a method or a, 
like even internal resources um, that that were developed as I grew. It was, I mean, clearly they were internal resources, but um, it it was all like a lot of conscientious decision-making and choosing to, to be that kind of person for them rather than it just being natural for me or uh, the default mode. My dad used to call, my dad used to say before he passed away, uh, he wanted home to always be safe and yeah. to know that like, no matter what was happening in the world, no matter what we had done, no matter anything, that if we showed up there, that it was safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's invaluable. I mean, I can tell you as an adult who had that, like in my darkest times, that was the thing that made me know that it would be okay. Hmm. Right. There's one lighthouse in the dark. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's awesome. And this parenting is the long game, you know? Yeah. So here's one. uh, This is the next one. So in your adult life, so not from when you were a kid, but from the time, whatever you consider yourself an adult, What's the most profound way or ways that you have changed? So I have a, like an inner peace now that I've never had before. And, you know, I first became aware of like the inner chaos that I was dealing with when I was about 30. Um, because I, I had a, um, like a therapy, holistic therapy session that I walked away from actually feeling a bit of relief and that, that relief, um, like showed me what kind of turmoil I was actually dealing with on a constant basis. So the turmoil was my constant and my normal state and getting this little bit of relief, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I've ever felt this much space inside my body. I've never felt like I could breathe this deeply. And, and that really lit me on fire to um, work on myself and to transform myself. And um, yeah, like now that I have so many more resources and you know, internal resources, um, and, and have dealt with so much of my turmoil and the pain that I held onto and experienced more of, uh, after childhood, you know, I, I just have like a, uh, a sense of stability and peace is the, the easy word, but there's another word that is at the tip of my tongue, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I think like, like I used to be able to make things happen because I was so determined, you know, and I was like, I was going to fight like hell to accomplish whatever it was I had my mind on. And now I am in a place where I can accomplish things so much more easily and with less angst, yeah. you know, with almost zero angst because I am able to feel peaceful and probably safe within myself by and large. So then that affects everything else. I mean, I've talked about it on this show. Like I've been in therapy for five, almost six years. And like 
the everything you just described makes absolute sense. Like the moment that you're able to just not be aware of not having stress is one of the craziest, like, and then when you come back where you're like, Oh my God, I'm just doing stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. For a while, like my brain would catch that I was relaxed. That's what I mean. Like, like, wait a minute. Shouldn't, isn't there something I should be worried about? Shouldn't yeah. I be like, you know, monitoring? Cause I, I grew up hypervigilant. I'm still hypervigilant in ways, but I think like my central nervous system and my brain truly are operating in a, a fundamentally different way. You yeah. Know, so, so now I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's okay. Like we don't have to, there's nothing to worry about, nothing to freak out about. Like we, we things are cool. And yeah. even, when, even when unpleasant things happen, I can just feel like, yeah, okay. All right. So here's the third one. So tell me the story of a time that somebody, it could be a parent, a mentor, a friend, my favorite is an enemy, uh, influenced you in some profound way in your life. There's so many. <laughs> and there's a lot of good ones. Um, I love that you originally, there's so many and you're like, oh, some of them are good too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so the one that is uh, the most recent is... Um, She's a healthcare provider, and I met her seeking healthcare. Um, and then we became, you know, friendly, and you know, and then eventually friends. Um, she is located up in northern Kentucky, and during the pandemic, you know, because we were up there, like I'd go to appointments, and then she started extending um, offers to have me and my daughter over for dinner and that sort of thing. So she became, um, you know, more of a friend and it was really very welcome because we didn't have a large circle or network up there. You know, so we were traveling back to Berea to see old friends and everything was so shut down. We couldn't make new friends. Um, but what I realized from her is like, I think we have, you know, some different political leanings. Um, we don't go into that a whole lot. She comes from a very different socioeconomic background. Um, but, but I began to, to realize and just observe that she exhibited, like um, she demonstrated inclusivity and um, like created welcoming spaces for people. And, and I think I was one of the recipients of that. You know, I think she purposefully, because she liked me and enjoyed my company, but also because she is this fundamentally kind and inclusive person, she just quietly, you know, brought me into the fold in ways. And I, I see that she's done that for other people as well. She's also done it for animals. Like she's, she's rescued some of the most interesting animals, like very random. And what I, um, what I think about her is, you know, you'll, you'll never find any of this on her social media, yeah. right? She, she isn't talking about who she's included or, you know, how she made sure to have a, a diverse group and, this and that, like she's just doing it and and 
spreading a lot of goodness in the world. So I, I feel very inspired by her. I'm actually planning to write a children's book based on her <laughs> because she is like, she is the um, modern Dr. Doolittle when it comes to these animals that she rescues. So yeah, she she's the one who like through her friendship and also observing the way she treats others. I was like, oh, you're not just talking about these things that we want and need to value, but, um, but you're actually doing them. And this is what that looks like in this instance. And I just think that's great. That's a pretty good story. Yeah, she's a great person. So we got two more left. And these are going to require you to tell stories about you, which I'm <laughs> guessing is your least favorite thing to do. You did it in the book. Like, I'm not sure you want to do it in real life. So tell me the story of, I'm always interested in when people meet somebody. Like, it doesn't have to be somebody famous. It can just be somebody weird or interesting that you came across that you're like, oh, shit. I met this person this one time. Like, what's your that person story? You know, for whatever reason, the, the person that comes to my mind, and I, I keep racking my brain on this, like, surely to goodness there's somebody else. But <clears throat> after grad school, I taught, you know, as an adjunct, I taught English, um, some creative writing classes, but mostly like beginner's comp classes. And for one of those classes, I had a student who, uh, like a young man, who wrote on pink notebook paper that was uh, significantly smaller than an eight and a half by 11 sure. piece of paper. And everything he wrote was great, you know? And I would go to him and be like, look, uh, the syllabus says, you know, this is the criteria, it's supposed to be tight and double spaced and, you know, on white paper and all that. And he was just like, I understand. I was like, your essay is great, but I've got to hold you to the same standards as I'm holding the other students and they're getting deemed for not double spacing. <laughs> like you're turning in this handwritten thing on pink little paper. What am I supposed to do? He was like, that's okay. I understand. Give me the grade that you have to give me. I'm just like, dang it, man. Like, how would you just do this? And, um, you know, so that's been like, over 10 years ago, um, yeah, 10, 12 years ago. And he still comes to my mind on a, you know, somewhat regular basis. I'm like, I wonder where he is and how he's doing. And I just think it was kind of, it's neat that he, he wanted to do that for whatever reason. He liked his approach and you know, he was okay with the consequences and he understood and he wasn't taking some stand or trying to, you know, buck the system or whatever. Um, and he just was so accepting and like pleasant to deal with. So I just think he's, um, that's just an intriguing person in my life, you know. I'm surprised like, you don't know where he is. That seems like somebody that, of course, he may have also just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I, I've stayed connected with some of my former students on social media, uh, which is always really cool to do. Um, but yeah, I'd have to kind of strain to remember his first name even. But yeah, he was just like very much his own person. I mean, clearly. 
yeah, I feel like there's some, there's a lot of lessons there for me. I like, I like people like that. There's always, I love when I meet people like that who are different and just sort of doing your own thing. And you know, probably going to have a hard way out in the world because the deeper we get into the world, the more you have to fit into structures. And so it's neat when people are like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And like, that's it. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've given you all the knowledge I can give you then. Right. <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting to have those interactions. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's the last one. And uh, this is a lot of pressure on Appalachian. What's your favorite story to tell? You know, so many of them are negative, but um, this one's kind of an interesting one. Um, so after I bought my granny's house from my father a couple of years ago, you know, I had to talk to him on the phone and stuff to sort of work out logistics and help. I, I agreed to help him with certain things as part of the, um, the purchase. And I, uh, you know, I hadn't talked to him for years and then so then suddenly there's like this influx of my father in my life and in my children's lives but by and large by phone um because I was still very careful about you know intertwining or letting him become part of uh letting him cause any problems basically that's a kind way to put it yeah yeah <laughs> Well, there's this one day when um, I'm driving down the road and my son's in the passenger seat and my dad calls and I've got him on speakerphone and his health has declined quite a bit. And I'm, I'm never sure if he's slurring his speech because of drugs or because of some sort of long-term health impact. Yeah. And I don't say, you know, I don't mean that to be flippant at all. It's just the truth. And, um, you know, so some of these conversations were really difficult to just understand what he was trying to tell me at times. And he was, he was talking, I've got him on speakerphone and he, he was trying to tell me a word or a, I don't know, maybe a series of letters or something. And I, I asked him like, if, if he was saying a certain thing and he corrected me by saying, no, V, with a V, V is in Valium. And I just about <laughs> lost it. And my son just about lost it. You know, well, we're both, I'm driving. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, I, was, I was so glad my son got to hear that because, you know, he's always known like that's a very fraught relationship and there's a lot of pain there. Um, and we, of course, don't make light of that or anything. But in that moment, like it was really just so funny and and very quintessential, my father. <laughs> I don't even know him. And I'm like, yeah, that feels right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was so glad that, that my son got to hear that because it was this unique moment that sums him up perfectly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, dysfunctional and um <laughs> unique and and just you know he's a character like not a great character in a lot of ways but he's a character and moments like that it's like we'll we'll be talking about that for decades yeah you know, me and my son i mean it is interesting how much trauma 
also doesn't define the entirety of a person. For those of you who haven't read, we're not talking about in the shadow of the valley. We're like she's here because she got a new novel called A Woman of Time. But we met when In the Shadow of the Valley came out, and we're I'm my family's from it's Kentucky, like you know my family's from a poor part of Kentucky, and you know there are these really horrible things that happen, but also there are these other things that happen, and so it is a constant reckoning of like trauma. And then like just regular funny shit that a dad says. And you're like, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think that's, it's really interesting when you have to acknowledge people's humanity and like, like my father for all of his, the horrific things that he did, you know, he's not just a monster. He's also, he's also really smart. You know, he can also wire pretty much anything you wanted wired, and it would almost always be the code. Um, and, and, you know, he was this great storyteller, too. He was like the original storyteller in my life. And yeah. Yeah. So he's not a flat character, right? And that was. And, and they're also real. And it's very, I think that is one of the hardest things about being an adult is both understanding the trauma that shaped the people that shaped you uh, and both giving them grace, but also not right to, to somehow carry both of those. Like you are responsible for the thing that you did, but I also understand things that made you the way that you were. And it is a constant negotiation back and forth. And that's kind of where you planted yourself in your writing, mm -hmm. which yeah. is a, a really you know, it's a quiet place, right? There's no space battles and gunfights and shit like that. Like a lot of that stuff is just this quietness of trauma. Yeah, I, I have spent several years now thinking a lot about like accountability and, you know, what does it mean to, what does it mean to have compassion for others and, and hold them accountable? or to empathize with others. And I don't know, I, I love the questions where there aren't easy answers though, you know? Yeah, uh, that is the end. You survived the 10 weird ass storytelling Q&A. You did great. Oh, thank you. This is great. <laughs> it's, so fun. Uh, it's always lovely to talk to you. Um, I know it's been a while. Uh, a Woman in Time, it comes out in August, right? Like comes out next month? Yep, August 30th. So this is your, like, so you did the memoir. This is your first novel. Mm -hmm. Like, ha, like, how do you feel? Like, you feel good? I'm very excited about it. Good. Good for I you. Love, I love the story in this novel. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. That's good. And I can just tell you in the four years or whatever that we've known each other virtually through all of this stuff, uh, you seem like a much different person today than you did when I met you. Yeah, it's been a, a very interesting transformative experience, you know, like having the book come, the first book come out and then, you know, just everything around that yeah. and then writing the next book. And yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's been yeah. a, a lot of learning and maturing and yeah, gratitude, a lot of gratitude <laughs> here. Was well, a distant third party, I can tell you that the work shows. Oh, thank you. And it's always lovely to have you on the program. I uh, hope you keep writing so that we can keep doing this. 
I'm going to. All right. <laughs> you have a good day. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Well, that was my friend Bobby Kahn. Her book, A Woman in Time, is out this August. It is always nice to talk to somebody from down around where I'm from. It just feels like home. And I hope it felt a little bit like home for you. Before we get out of here, a couple reminders. If you like what you heard, leave us a review, either on Apple Podcasts or over at the Writer's Jam Facebook page, and tell your friends about us. That's the price of admission. Help us out. Uh, the Solid Listen Podcast Network has 12 programs, 11 outside of mine. So you've heard one. There's a lot more to listen to. Don't forget to check all of them out, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Also, three programs here. The Jam, out every Wednesday. After Party and Jam Sessions comes out on Monday. Make sure you get yourself subscribed wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. You don't have to remember dates or names or anything. Just fascinating conversations with interesting authors are going to show up. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down, no filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Repin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.